fresh off the plane from uh, India and Dubai. Kind of a contrast. Dubai is the, uh, it's in the United Arab Emirates and uh, it's a lot of flights go in through Dubai and Johnny and I spent about 12 days up in India and uh, saw uh, beautiful uh, things going on in the body of Christ, great church planting, and uh, in one of the darkest parts of India, Uttar Pradesh, it's one of the 29 states. We uh, saw a sign that said 223 million people is their population. And uh, so it's just a little bit smaller than the United States in population, just one state. And uh, so there are churches being launched out of one church. Then some of you remember the little Indian guy with the tambourine, right? That's Pastor Tony. He is so humble. I told him, I said, you know, you packing that tambourine does not, de does not depict what your churches are. They're high-tech, wonderful bands, all modern instruments, no sitars being played, no tambourines. I think I saw one tambourine, and I don't think it was used. But Brother Tony is very humble. And uh, 850 churches underneath him, over 100,000 people. And so I'll list some cities you may have heard of. Uh, many of these cities you've called into when you needed technical help. Hyderabad. Uh, Mumbai, also known as Bombay, Calcutta, New Delhi, uh, Vanarasi, uh, uh, Lucknow, and all over, all over India, Pastor Tony's churches are being planted. So that was an awesome time being with the brothers there. Honestly, <clears throat> it's terrifying. I got home and I had a nightmare the first night. This is funny, some of you older men will understand, you know, the, the trek to the bathroom multiple times at night. Nobody's copping to it, okay. <laughs> Pete and I are the only guys that have this problem. Come on, Walt, no. <laughs> but, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a dream state and I, and I have like a nightmare and and my nightmare is that the crowds of people are walking by me and I don't dare move or I'll get lost. So I'm tormented and suddenly I open up my eye and I look, that looks like my bedroom wall. <laughs> it's my bedroom. I can find my way to the bathroom and get back <laughs> without getting lost. But I'm trying to show something that's real that when you're not acclimated to crowds, it's shocking. We went to the Taj Mahal one day and there was 100,000 people there that were passing through that day. Johnny loves it. He's energized by crowds. I'm not. I'm exhausted. <laughs> Some of you guys relate to me. You go to the mall and ex immediately you're exhausted, right? Amen. Let me sit with the other fat guys eating caramel corn and going... I hope she doesn't spend it all. Johnny just, Johnny met everybody in India. And I'm thinking, when can I get near the Wi-Fi to call Kim? Honey, are you okay? Do you miss me? You called 30 minutes ago, honey, I'm okay. 
God's doing a great work. Now Dubai, that's a different thing. That's, uh, that's the showcase of Middle Eastern wealth. And I do not want my mother-in-law to go there. I mean, there, there are, you know, Ferrari dealerships, Maserati. You, there is one section that we want to, uh, called the gold market, and you see, like, all kind of gold uh, jewelry. And Dubai is just opulent, decadent, as compared to India. And uh, so I'm thinking about planting a church in Dubai. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I want to say it's so good to be home. I love you guys. And uh, come on now, let's kick it up a little bit. I love you a lot, Pastor. Really. I feel the sincerity. It's just oozing out of you. Just thank you guys. <laughs> now when I say I love you, I mean it. I, yeah. I always love the mercy people. They just carry it on. No, no, I really love you. See, but I love you even more. Okay. You can find the mercy people in the crowd. The other's like, hey, okay, ditto. Let's go on. <laughs> but there's no place like home. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, it took us 29 hours to get over there, starting from Medford, and then one flight from Seattle to, to Dubai was 14 hours. And, and I'm thinking, you know, suffering for Jesus. I'm a bad man, I'm king of the world. And then I go to the conference, and there's people that showed up at the conference. They said, yeah, it took us 40 hours on the train from Mumbai. 40 hours on a train. Yeah, they didn't have any seats, so we mostly stood. <laughs> How many of you know perspective is so different? There are people that fly from here to Los Angeles and they talk about jet lag. <laughs> Excuse me, guys. <laughs> I remember one time, and I'll get off the humor part, but... I remember one time I was flying out of Medford and it was when all those little sausage planes were here. And so the plane had one seat per side. And I asked for an, an aisle row. And the gal said, no problem. <laughs> so when you sat down, you had the window and the aisle. Everybody had that, but I got what I wanted. So anyway, um, this morning I... I want to switch because I'm bipolar and uh, multi-personality. But I, I want to put on my, my ugly face and my angry face and just talk to you that I am really angry about, about what Pastor Jerry is going through right now. And, uh, and uh, I believe in fighting. That many, many people live their lives with fatality. The people who got through and got miracles from Jesus weren't fatalist. They were people that needed something to happen right now and they wanted it. And they, they would uh, yell out in public and they would cry. And um, so Jerry's been having a counterattack of the tumor 
they're talking about putting a feeding tube, and I say, no, it's time for that tumor to die. It's, it's, it's the manifestation of an evil spirit. I'm mad. I've been praying through the night in India, through the night in uh, Dubai, through the night in Medford. When I wake up, I've got Jerry on my mind because I love him. And I don't want to comfort a bereaving family. I want to rejoice with a victory. So I'd like us to pray for Jerry right now. And I want you to take it personally. Okay? How many of you believe you have any standing with God whatsoever? Anybody believe you do? I want you to leverage that. I want you to go to your father and say, Father, my righteousness that I have came from you, but I've cooperated with it. And I'm asking you, God, to do me a favor and heal Jerry. How many of you know that's personalizing something? You know? That's what intercession is. It's standing in the way and saying, hey, you want to get to him? You've got to go through me. And, and I, I feel so angry. I want to shank the devil. And I, I do not want to go and bury Jerry. If we're passive, we're going to all talk about what a great guy he was. But if we'll turn around and say, <laughs> screw you, devil. He's ours in the name of Jesus. I believe we can, we can speak healing in life. Great theory, Pastor Steve. It's what the Bible's all about. It's about people who believed in miracles for today. I believe in miracles for today. We have an opportunity. I want to pray, and then I'll get on to the regular teaching that we have here. Would you agree with me? Dear Father, go ahead, pray it. Dear Father, as one voice, we cry out, and we ask you to give us our brother. We ask you to heal Jerry. We speak to every evil spirit, the spirit of cancer, the spirit of death, and we say, you have no place, you have no right on that man in his esophagus. We cast cancer out. We speak life. Dear Father, we're taking this personally, together. We ask that you would favor us by giving us the life of Jerry Panetta. Restore him. We're asking for a miracle immediately. We're not asking for a delay. We're asking for deliverance right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You can tell by uh, the words that I'm speaking that I'm not a fatalist, okay? Uh, I believe that God is moved by importunity. That when we bang on the door of heaven, we get answers. That when we get, so many people are so humble, they get nothing done for them. Well, far be it from me, Lord, to ask you something hard. Well, it's not far be it from me. One, a couple of realities. One, I don't deserve squat. I deserve to be thrown in hell. So everything I've gotten came because of grace. There, and he called me a son, so since he said I get refrigerator rights and Costco rights in his pantry, I go in for everything. 
I ask him for money, I ask him for health, I ask him for a great marriage, I ask him for a great family, I ask him all the time. Because so many of you are so humble, you're never gonna bother God, so I'm enjoying some of your fruit that you didn't wanna have, I'm enjoying it. Since we don't deserve any of it, let's take it all. Say that with me, since I don't deserve any of it, I'll go ahead and take it all. And that, and that happens when it, in certain things like looking at people die or not die of cancer, you know. We, we've seen battles and, and, and it broke our heart when we've seen people that, that didn't survive. But I'll tell you what, it's like, like a fight in the neighborhood. As a kid, you might have got licked three times before you get up and you've got to face the next battle. Okay, and the thing is with, with faith, God works when you have an expectation of victory. Faith doesn't work with like, well, maybe if you'd consider, I'd really like you to consider this. That's not how God works. He works on the person that said, I've already considered, and I know you're good, and I know you're trying to tell me to go away, Jesus. I know you're telling me that, that, that it's not your time to minister to my people. I know that you're telling me that it's not good to take the children's bread and give it to the, the dogs, but I want to tell you that even the dogs eat the crumbs from the children's table, and your power is so great, you can give me what you want, what I need. And Jesus said, that woman's got great faith. Great faith is just telling God, this is what I want. See? Leveraging your relationship with him. Pleading the case. And I do that. When we need money around here, I'll talk to God. God, joy needs money. And so we need to negotiate, Father. Look at the altar call. I give you what you want. You want souls? You get souls. And I need money. You told me that the, that the worth of a soul is more than the net worth of the earth. I don't need the whole wealth of the world, but I do need $10,000. Or I do need $15,000. Or we do need. And I found out, the Lord said, no problem. Just go ahead and invoice me and I'll give you what you need. Now some of you are looking at me like I'm off another planet. If you can negotiate with your neighbor over a lawnmower, you can negotiate with God. Anyway, having said all that, now third thing in the agenda is, uh, didn't the girls do good the last couple of weeks? Yeah. That explains the number of emails I got asking me to spend more time in India. Yeah, they're powerful. I believe in women's ministry. My wife told me to say that. <laughs> How many of you know we want, to hear, we want to hear good, accurate, uplifting teaching? And we, we, we uh, love it. Appreciated Natalie and Kim speaking the last couple weeks while I was uh, in India. I won't talk about what I did in India because I can get a lifetime ban. But it wasn't selling drugs, I can tell you that. And uh, India is not as free. Uh, there's uh, persecution to a small degree from the Hindu government. But anyway, had a great time down there. And uh, so I wasn't just uh, on the beaches tanning. We've been looking at simplifying our lives uh, I know that Kim did the teaching where you take the big rocks in your life and then you fill it the small rocks around it and getting priorities for your life. And, and how many of you know that you're not simple-minded to simplify your life? The smartest 
corporations simplify their procedures. You see, it's, it's, it's a really funky, bad, soon-to-be-out-of-business corporation that tries to make their procedures more complex. So In-N-Out Burger is an example of a highly efficient um, corporation. They know we want top-notch, well-paid employees smiling when you come in for a burger, and you get, remember, one, two, three. See, why not have like 17? I go to certain places, and, and, and the menu is like 45 pages long, and I'm going, take me to In-N-Out. I don't like all of the complexity. I don't trust a restaurant that serves Korean barbecue, Texas Roadhouse, Chinese, and Pakistani food all in one place. It just makes me nervous. I like simple things, simplified. Some people, when it comes to uh, family, which is what we're going to talk about today, is simplifying your family or bringing your family into a Christian culture that's going to produce results that you'd be happy with. Many people would like to have highly Christian children, but they're not leading their ways, their children in ways that create a Christian culture in the, in the family. Now, uh, there is a story that I heard years ago about a young man that was staying at a boarding house, and, and uh, so that would be like rent a room kind of a place for young people that aren't familiar with the term boarding house. And so after he spent several months in a community, he was going to be leaving, and his business was being terminated uh, in that one community, and so he goes down to the lady, because boarding houses were often uh, owned and operated by widows and people who had resource at one time, and then their husband died or something, and they, they would make uh, money for their food and stuff by renting rooms in her house. So the lady was a sweet lady and the man comes down to her, the young man, and says, hey, I, I want to settle up. And he gave her the money he owed. He said, I'm, I've cleaned my room and, and I'm ready to go and I've got everything with me. And she said, no, 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 you don't. He said, well, I did. I checked my room twice in the drawers and, and everything and, and, and I believe that, that uh, I've got everything. And she said, no, you're leaving something behind. He said, what's that? And she said, your influence. Your influence. So many people in our culture, uh, we have bumper stickers that say, that say on our trucks and things like, he that dies with the most toys wins. But did you know that right today I'm more wealthy than Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs had started Apple and, and, and uh, you know, he can't spend a dime and I've got about that much in my pocket right now. <laughs> you know, we, we get so caught up in admiring people sometimes that when, when Alexander uh, the Great, I think he was around 30, 32 years old maybe, and I'd, I forget which river it was, but he'd conquered so much. And he stood by one of the mighty rivers like the Nile or something and he began to weep. Because after he conquered that which he could conquer, he realized one thing. One thing he'll never conquer is time. And so many people, they live existentially. They live day by day for what I can have, what I can taste, what I can eat, what I can wear. And so many people are building for things that won't, that won't survive. Your life... Relating to your family and the people that are in your 
microcosm, your small world. Your life is like a, a large stone. If you've ever been near a, a still pond, and, and I remember doing this as a kid, you take a rock and you chuck it out in the middle of the pond and you see the concentric circles. The rock goes boom right in and there's a splash, but then beyond the splash were the circles, like circles of influence. So many people are trying to make a big splash. You know, even some of the people that, that want to go and shoot people and, and they want to be known as like the, the hyper criminal. The, I want to make a splash. I want everybody in America to have to know my name, even if it's negatively. Well, you know what? Sometimes those big splashes are only, only for a few months. Even bad people. Sometimes it's only a few months and everybody like, oh, we forgot who the guy's name was. But you know, when it comes to the small thing, like your family, those ripples can go on long after you're dead. And so how we live, how we think, how we speak will create ripples. The ripple effect for good or for mediocrity, for excellence, for evil in our life, or our family and the generations to come. You're speaking either good into the generations to come or you're speaking and demonstrating the fact that you don't value the things that God values. In your family, you need to have a good foundation. In Matthew chapter seven, verses 24 through 27, we see Jesus saying this, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. One of the neat things about about the United States of America and, and most of the uh, Western world is that we have building codes. And so, uh, so uh, like in our, in our uh, city, there are city codes, county codes, there, and most of the codes are pretty universal with most of the United States. So that, that if you're a builder from Connecticut, you can come into Oregon and, and, and very quickly just double check to make sure that everything code-wise is the same. And sometimes it's, it's a bother when, when they come in and look at your electrical boxes and they say, no, this conduit's not covered uh, well enough. You need to uh, put uh, you know, the, the, the metal coverings over it. And sometimes we'd like to just schlock and just do stuff that, that are hillbilly and, and not do it right. And that's why we have building inspectors. They come by and say, hey, no, you can't make studs out of just patching together pieces of studs. <laughs> in this part of the, of, 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 uh, the city, years ago, uh, there were a lot of people that worked at mills and they would, they would build their own studs and they would fill the walls with sawdust. Well, as insulation, well, guess what happened when they catch fire? <laughs> they were a Roman candle. And so with the building code, there's this order and this demand on, on how you build so that you just aren't building trash. 
And a lot of people are more concerned about their cars, their hair, their nails, than they are as to what are you building your family on? Are you building your family on the teachings of Jesus Christ? Now watch this. Don't bring Jesus' teachings like one philosophy that you will analyze in the midst of others. Well, Jesus says this, but Oprah says this. And Miley Cyrus says this. You know, all things, you know, uh, withstanding, Miley and Jesus are like, they're not the same level. Even Hannah Montana. I find that everyone that really builds a, a Christian family and builds a Christian marriage, they don't take Jesus' words as like, you know, alternate entries into my thought pattern. But they become the hardwire of what I believe is code in my life. Code in our life for our family. My question is, what is the foundation that you're building your family upon? Okay? Please don't be the family that, that comes to church and does church and goes home to life. If, if we don't take church home with us, we didn't really go to church. This is, this is the training ground. This is the blackboard where we can write some notes. This is lecture church, but family is the blackboard you write your, your, your devotion on. Hello? You want me to rate your Christianity? I don't care about you blabbing up in my office about how much you love Jesus. Hello? See, I, when, when someone is telling me how much they love Jesus, after five minutes of it, I shut it off. Because when, when, it, when you're really in love, you know, you just say, I love my wife, <laughs> you know, done. Because I'm not going to bring you into our love triangle. You're not coming in. I love Kim. I didn't need to talk about it. I'm not going to Facebook that she's the hottest hottie of all the hotties of the hottie, hottie, hottie list. <laughs> Young guys, take a clue. And the same thing about loving Jesus. If you're around me, I'm not going to go, oh, I love Jesus so much. I just love him. I love him. No. I love him, so I'm going to shut up and go do something that indicates I heard his teachings. You're going to know I love Jesus, not because I'm blabbing and, and lip flapping about my love and my devotion to Jesus, but because you watch my footwork. That, that I'm loving the hurt and the downtrodden. I care for the poor. I put my trust fully in Jesus Christ. I don't believe that all opinions are right. I believe that his opinion trumps all the other ones. And so what happens is we don't need to necessarily have lots of words about our affection. We just need to show our affection by the fact that we're building a culture of Christianity. First of all, in our life. I was looking and I see a lot of single people here. You say, well, I don't even have a boyfriend yet or uh, someone that's wanting to court me. Great. That, that's advantageous. I started building my family from about eight years old. I remember I was in third grade and one day I was playing up at Briscoe Elementary in Ashland and, and in, the, in, in the middle of uh, playing, a kid said his name was Jake and, and, and the Holy Spirit said, you're going to have a son named Jake. Okay. 
that was really useful. What do I do, go to another girl in third grade, you wanna have a baby, call him Jake? <laughs> Wasn't time and place. Did it come to pass? Yes, I did have a son named Jake. And I began to realize what I saw. There were things that I saw. I saw my mama crying at Christmas time because we were poor all the time. I saw my father struggle with depression. And there were things that I determined, no, nope, that's gotta stop. I don't wanna see crying eyes at Christmas. I don't wanna lose my life in depression. I want to have every child that I birth born into a Christian home. And when Kim and I have gone through hell, we never became victims at home. I'll just give you a proof text. So many pastor's kids hate God because they saw their parents go through tough times. And the parents came home and cried about it. Kim and I were like boxers. There were times our ribs were bruised. We were destroyed and we came home with a smile because we knew that time was on our side. We were winning. That Jesus takes families through tough times. Tough times don't last, tough people do. All four of my children are in professional Christian ministry because they weren't turned off by what they saw. They saw a Jesus culture not only from the pulpit, but they saw it in the minivan. They saw it in the minivan. Walk with your children, talk with them, by the way. Girls, I wanna get up in your grill right now, okay? Everything that I say today, if it's stupid and offensive, it's jet lag. Okay? I was really working it yesterday. Oh, Kim, you know, I'm really suffering from jet lag. And she says, okay, I'll bring you more coffee, you know. I'm not gonna get through the notes, but I believe I'm gonna get to the heart. Girls, so many of you have broken my heart. I'm not talking about you specifically, I'm talking about you as being representative of other guilty people who aren't here. So many girls have high values until a guy shows up and then they'll moderate their morality to accommodate a guy. I remember when, when, when Kim and I met, I, I was not Wendy's create a burger. I had finished Bible college. I knew my destiny was to plant a church. And so as we were just beginning to engage and we knew we, we cared about each other, we were crazy about each other. But I had to ask the hardest question I would ask her. And I looked her in, her in her beautiful brown eyes and I said, honey, will you love me more than anything else in the world? And I tried to be as coy and sly because I knew a lot of girls would say, oh, of course, yeah. I, mean, I was so awesome. The older I get, the more awesome I was. Uh, <laughs> So there was the other girl I had ever dated in the world, and she might have said that, and I'm just teasing. But I, I looked her in the eye and said, will you love me more than anything else? She said, oh no. She said, I'll love Jesus more than anything. I went, I can trust you.
sometimes when I'm talking, I'm not sure people catch what I'm feeling and what I'm trying to communicate. I wanted to know that if I failed and flopped, this girl would not, not have turned away from the mission to serve Jesus Christ. And she let me know right up front, I will always love God more than anything else. That's why I can trust my wife implicitly. Because she's, she's not just trying to pander to me. What, what do I do to conform to Steve? Simplify family. I'll tell you, our family's really simple. Kim's bored with her own opinions and I'm bored with mine. Sometimes I don't even like to talk. I like to just sit in silence and listen to everybody else and laugh. Enjoying, enjoying your foolhardy stuff you're going through. The reason is, is because my opinion shouldn't be what rules our family anyway. That's why Christian unity in the family is like, who's the boss in the family? Do you need a boss? How about let's read the Bible and just do that? We'll probably find out we don't need a boss. We're just kind of like, you got your role, I got my role, you're heading that way, honey, I'm heading this way, let's converge when we get our stuff done and I'll have a party. But it doesn't happen if you've got multi-cultures going on in your family. You've got to have one culture, a biblical culture. You've got to build your life on Jesus Christ. And girls, I'm still talking to you. Don't you wiggle away. I can see that fidgeting. Yeah. Some of you are saying, I wish you had ADD or jet lag or whatever you're going through more often. Changing the subject every three minutes here. You're more valuable than to just want a guy you're, you're a daughter of the king. God has a specific guy. If you desire to be married, if you don't desire to be married, please don't, don't marry. You know, I don't want to be married. I hate men, but God's commanded me. No, I don't want to marry you. That's scary, you know. <laughs> so only marry if you really feel like it. But on the other hand, I think it would be, be better to be 70, having waited for God's guy, and never get married than to marry someone where you had to compromise your call and your values. What really brings wealth to a family is the dignity. It's that, it's that as the mafia would say, cosa nostra, or in Spanish, just cosa nuestra, our thing. There's an our thing in a godly family. That through the storms of life, Kim and I can look at each other and with that wink that says, hey, <laughs> Yep, we've had men delay us, but men can't detain us. How many of you know that people can screw your life up for a while, but they can't detain the will of God? So that's what you have to do. You have to be stronger as a family and say, hey, we're working through some things. We had some financial setbacks. We had this, health setbacks. But guess what? Cosa nuestra. This is our thing. Familia mia. This is my family. This is powerful. Now think about the concentric circles that are spreading at joy. How many of you come into this place to go, man, it feels like a big family here? Yeah, because we are a big family here. And we want to have the same values together. And so what happens many times, people will have strategies. I want to be like quasi-Christian. I really don't want to surrender to Jesus, but I want to kind of like be kind of like Christian. That's like kind of like pregnant. Well, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> 
just wearing maternity clothes. And some people, they try to employ Christian strategies. Don't employ Christian strategies. Create Christian culture because culture eats strategy for breakfast. Well, what was the strategy you had for your kids? You got four kids. They're all A-level. How did you do it? What was your strategy? Your strategy. I'm going to get down home. My strategy was I was broken enough that I believed that if I would imitate God as a dear child and I would walk with my children and try to imitate Father as much as possible so I wouldn't break their heart. If we said we're going to Disneyland, we were going to go by planes, trains, automobiles, or hitchhike. So many parents, yeah, blah, 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 we're going to do this, blah, 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 blah. Never happens. You're breaking the kid's heart one step at a time. Keep your mouth chill. Let your yay be yay, let your nay be nay. You can't hide those lion eyes, songs by the eagles. But you can't hide true devotion. When I knew, and Kim knew what we wanted in a family, when we got married, we kept waiting. People kept saying, hey, give it six months. There's going to be a speed bump. Six months flew, and we're going, this is fun. We hit a speed bump in the first year when we planted a church. Oh, my gosh. We've been in turb turbulence ever since. They say, well, you get married, and five years later, you're going to find, you know, there's like this crisis, and then 10 years, and then 15 years, and we're like 36 years now. And we're going, what was it they used to say? Why, why, why can you keep a long-term honeymoon going? Because, see, you're not fighting over culture all the time. You come in my house, I want peace. You come in the house, we want to feed you, we want to love you. You come in and call my wife a bad name, I punch you in the face and, and don't feel bad about your dental work. Just don't do it. That's metaphorical. <laughs> Just, you have to know what culture you want in your house. Four children, three sons and one daughter, not one time did I see of the four, I never saw one of them strike the other in anger. Nobody came in and said, I got punched in the face. No one said, you know, Jake jumped on my hand and stomped it. Never happened. That's pretty rare. But see, what happened was because there was a Christian culture Family table, out with your, with your grievance. Well, you know, <laughs> Jake's, it was always Jake. You know, Jake's doing something, you know. And then you, you have court. Okay, do you think we can back off that? Good. It's all good. Occasionally there would be a little paddle, which I do believe in it. But what happens is when, when, when the parents create the track to run on, it's easy for the family to, to uh, just get locked into it. Now, one of the things that I will state 
is that I never, we never did devotions at our house. I know some of you are wondering if I'm a Christian. Huh? It's like a swim coach never tells people what water is. They just jump in and they swim all day. We never had devotions. Because sometimes in a devotion situation, you've got a parent trying to speak into the, the minds of kids biblical truth, which still didn't bring out what they needed. Jesus oftentimes would just say, what, what do men say? What do you say? Jesus often got into people's thinking by questions. And that's what we did a lot of in our house. We're driving. Well, Natalie should be with me in the minivan. Well, Miss Nat. And I'd bring up a biblical topic. Or we would talk about maybe someone that was running off the rails, really negative in the church. And we didn't use hypotheticals. We used actual names. Well, what about little that's really gone crazy and serving at the world. What do you think is going to happen, Nat? Well, I think she's going to get frustrated and I think she's going to get her heart broken. Okay, Natalie, we're going to pray for her, but we're going to see if you're seeing things accurately. A few years later, the girl comes in. Now, I trained my daughter because I walked with her, I talked with her by the way. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Kim would do the same. We would talk with the children. I wanted, I already know what I know. I didn't know what they knew. So I would ask them about biblical things. We talked politics. We talked life. Jake and I watched the football games, him and Eugene and me at home. Last night we were texting back and forth on the Ducks game and we were happy for a change. Okay, my time is up. But so many times we, we want somebody else to, to, to change things for us. I want somebody else to make sure that the culture, you know, if my wife was only more spiritual or if my husband was only spiritual. Culture starts with one person determining that, that this, is where, this is how I roll. Huh? Sometimes a husband will cop an attitude, I don't want to go to church, and so I'm not going to church. And you'll hear silly women say, well, I'm going to quit church because I want to submit to my husband. You never submitted to him before. Why are you submitting him on that one? <laughs> you know, I believe in submission, but I don't believe that you submit and go to hell. I believe that you would say, honey, okay, I'm not going to drop my faith to accommodate your bad attitude. I'm going to God's house. I'm going to serve the Lord because I want the kids to see that at least one of us persisted in doing what was right. When we, when we have these compromises, husbands and wives, do you know who we're really gambling with? You're not playing with house money. You're risking house money. You're risking the house of Schmelzer or A Cup or Miller or Blank or Kelly. I'm a tightwad. I'm not going to dangle my kids. Seven come 11. Nope. I know the one that rescued me out of hell. 
I know the one that delivered me out of poverty. I know the one that delivered me out of depression. I know the one that called me into the ministry. And I can take some shots in the ribs and a few on the jaw. But with those following me and the family culture, I remember we went through a terrible split in 1992 and Jake was like eight or 10 years old at the time. I sat him down one day, I said, Jacob, I said, we're going through a hard time in the church. He said, I know dad. I said, a lot of people hate daddy right now. And he said, I know dad. I said, do you hate me? He goes, no dad, I love you. And I said, you know what? That's two of us. I love me too. I want the little kid to see. There was a spine in the old man. I didn't want my boy who's pastoring and preaching today to lose his faith in God because I broke and I cried. I want him to see that as a man of God, I would deport myself well through one of the darkest hours of my life. I love your family. Sometimes I love people's families more than they do. They just don't see. You're setting on a nation. Your children will have children who have children who have children and you can have concentric rings of blessing, blessing, blessing. Rechabites, one of my favorite stories. Jeremiah 35, the Rechabites came in and they were told by their grandpa or great grandpa, we don't drink wine and we don't dwell in walled cities. God said, bring in the Rechabites and set them at a table and put bowls of wine in front of each of them. And Jeremiah served them all wine and was preparing a meal. And he said, drink. And he said, we cannot. Our great grandpa, Jehonadab, told us we don't drink wine. We don't live in walled cities. God was so impressed with the fiber in this family that he told Jeremiah, speak to my sons. How can you not honor me? Like these sons of Jonadab, will, the Rechabites, they'll honor their father, Jonadab, and won't touch the wine. And yet you won't honor me. God said, I will make it that there will never lack before me a Rechabite. There'll always be a Rechabite in my presence. That's my prayer for your family. I want us to leave this place with a little swag. You look at the guy you're married to, the girl you're married to, and you say, Cosa Nostra. Cosa Nuestra, it's our thing, it's our family. What's our values? Maybe for some of us, we'll need to tighten up and say, you know what, we've been quasi-Christian, kind of like Christian light. That is like the big smile at church. <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, God is so good. You walk out the door and it's different. I was at a heartbreaking situation. I went to a rescue in Mexico. Missionary family was melting down and I knew I couldn't fix it. When I sat with the, the two teenage children, they said, we're so glad that mom's leaving dad. 
Why? Because you know, dad preached the love of Jesus so great in front of the people. 1,200 people. But when he came home, there was no love of Jesus in this house. My son Gino always, when he talks about Kim and I, he says this, I love the fact that my dad is the same at church and at home. I want to be the same guy. I want to be just as carnal in front of you as I am at home. And I want to be just as holy at home as I am in front of you. Hello? How many of you will join with me and say, God, help me to simplify my life and have a Christian family, even if I'm single? Maybe you're a grandparent and, and you see the grandees are going off the rail. You, you can even say, you know, I didn't do it right, but honey, let's turn it around. Let's go Christian. Let's go all the way. Let's go all the way. Let's build our life on the foundation of Jesus. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Thank you for your patience today. And you girls over here, I haven't forgotten you yet. You don't just marry an old guy. And young men, get to work now. Don't wait till you marry some strong dictatorial woman to command you what to do. Do it while you still got your mama telling you. <laughs> I love the Lord. I feel like I just streaked emotionally, ran naked through the crowd emotionally. That's called bearing your soul. I'm about family. Let me just say this. We only fly through life so quickly. And I won't take my iPad with me. And my Casio Atomic watch won't go with me. My money, my property. The only thing that I can leave is circles concentric circles of people that I've influenced, either for good or bad. How many of you say, I want my influence to be positive? Right now, if you have come into this place and you've been pondering a change of life and pondering a need to give some energy to the spiritual aspect of your life, and you realize there's some holes in what you've experienced and what you've believed, I want to just proclaim to you that Jesus is here to save you. Salvation or being born again is, is an acknowledgement that A, there's a true God. And that God is Father God. We call him Jehovah, Father God, and his son, Jesus Christ, who is the manifestation of God in the flesh. So when we look at Jesus, we see him as man, we see him as God. But Jesus lived and he died by the crucifixion. His blood was shed to cover our sins. The only way that you can undo wrong that you've ever done is through the blood of Jesus. You can't just promise to be better. You can't try to undo it by good works. The only way that we can be saved is through putting our trust in what Jesus did. The good news is he's already done it. He already went to the cross. He already paid for our sins. He already rose from the dead to validate that the payment was received. And you are able to be saved if you call on his name. 
What we do right now is we ask you, if you'd like in, if you'd like to call on God, we'd like to be a part of that in your life as you step out and, and come down in front of these people and we all pray aloud together so it's not you. And we just say, Jesus, would you save me? Would you forgive me of my sins? I want to be a part of your family. Today, as I'm talking about family values, I know I'm touching people's hearts because we all want family. We all want to be loved. We all want to love. But the, the source of training, the source of the energy to have that kind of life comes from God himself. There's no family man like God himself. He's the ultimate family father husband. He's the great example. And, and it starts when we get peace with God, when we get forgiveness of sins and we say, hey, I, I need more than a patch. I need a brand new life. Save me, Lord. Step out of your chair if you're here and you're saying, you know, man, I'm listening to you and I, I want that. I want God in my life. Come on, right now, quickly, quickly, quickly. Week after week, people come and they, they give their life to Jesus and he forgives them of their sin and they become a new person. You may say, well, I need to clean up my life. Please don't go all full of diesel and climb in the bathtub. Go to the shower before you go to the bath. In other words, go to the shower of the blood of Jesus and wash your sins away. Then you can clean yourself up a bit, but you can't do it in order to prep for God. It just doesn't work. And so we come to Jesus as we are. We know that he's merciful. He forgives us of our sin. All right, last call. You can also call on the Lord at home. I encourage you to do that. Maybe you're chicken and you just felt a little bit embarrassed, but you can do it in your car. You can do it on your bicycle. You can do it like a, like a Dr. Seuss books, in the air, <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> Now for the rest of us, how many of you say, you know, I want, I want that family foundation, that simplification. How many can wave your hand and say, I need to simplify. I need to simplify. Keep my priorities simple. Keep them simple. Keep them simple. Keep them simple. Doesn't make you simple-minded. It actually makes you wise. Pray with me. Dear God, hear, hear my prayer. Simplify my actions. Simplify my life that I would give strong energy to creating a culture around me and in my family. Lord, for all the singles, we pray that they would be able to create that culture within their own heart and their own expectation long before they marry. So they'll know when that right one comes. Someone of like mind Lord, for the, the grandparents, Lord, we pray that you would equip them to speak into their children still and into their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Lord, to all the fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, we pray, God, help us, Lord, that anyone that comes into our world is touched by a culture of a simplified family that's rallied around the banner of the love of God. Hear our prayer, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.